message series that we've been looking at for uh, the last few weeks, and we're talking about, uh, we've been looking at some of the different ways that God takes and moves our ordinary lives and adds some extras that really benefit and bless and help us grow and help us see things from a different perspective. And so we've been looking at a handful of different um, areas in this past month. And so this morning we're going to turn our attention to a surprising source of extra from God. The, the source is trouble. Like God actually can use trouble, bad stuff that happens to us um, and, and make transitions through trouble that we face. Um, I'd like to pray. I know it's a busy weekend for many, many people. It's one of the common things I've been hearing as I've been talking to people. People are tired and just bouncing from one thing to the next this, this weekend. And so I want to pray because just as we have this time, just that we'd ask the Lord to give us the ability to focus and really hear from Him. So let's pray together. Father, we just um, thank You for bringing us here this morning. Thank You for um, motivating us to continue to walk with You, for motivating us to um, to you know, be here this morning. And I know that's a choice that is not always an easy choice to make. So God, I would pray that as we've decided to make this a priority, Lord, that you would actually um, uh, really work through this time to, to speak to us, to minister to us, to help us grasp some things about life and our lives in particular. Um, so we just commit this time to you. We, we ask you minimize the distractions this morning, and really allow us to hear um, what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, no one likes trouble. No one likes to be in trouble. Whenever my kids are in trouble, they take off running. <laughs> Not all of them, but one in particular. He likes to run. He wants to lock himself into a bathroom. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember that, honestly. Like, I remember the same thing. I never liked being in trouble. I hated being in trouble, and so... I would just outmaneuver my parents. That's what I would always try to do. And but they would, you know, they were on to me at times and get in trouble and, you know, have to pay for the crime, whatever that might be. But none of us likes to be caught. None of us likes to face trouble. We dread it. And so what we do generally is we will do whatever we can to avoid trouble. We'll steer around it. If we see trouble coming, we'll try to, you know, we'll try to take another route. But trouble has a way of tracking all of us down, doesn't it? Trouble can track you down. And the poster man for trouble in the Bible is a man named Job. And in one day, he loses his family, he loses his wealth, and he even loses his health. Everything just comes crashing down on him. And then because of everything that happened in one single day, his friends came and gathered around him and tried to really help him um, understand what went wrong in his life. And... Um, I'm sure they were trying to be good friends, but some of the things they were saying, some of the approaches they took really didn't help Job all that much. And so because of the interaction, you know, or because of what they observed and what had happened to Job, they tried to specifically point out things that he had done wrong. And so they would say, Job, you must have done this or you must have done that. And, and Job would say, uh, I don't think I did that. <laughs> you know, or, you know, they say, well, what about that? You must have done this. I don't think I did that either. And he did, they, the interchange back and forth between Job and his friends is just them coming and saying, you must have done this because why else would your life be crashing down unless you did these things? And Job's saying, I don't think I did those things. And it's an interesting story. Um, it, and during one of those conversations, one of his friends make a, makes a really interesting statement about trouble. And it's not 
on the listening guide, but I'd just like to read it to you out of the Bible. It's Job chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. This is what his friend, Job's friend Eliphaz tells him. He says, For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Eliphaz is saying, look, we're all just trying to figure out what's gone wrong in your life, but let's be honest, sometimes you cannot pinpoint what's the source of trouble. He makes a pretty true statement at that point, this friend. Now, he said a bunch of other things that weren't that helpful, but he does make this true statement about how trouble is, is it's like sparks flying upward. It's not like a plant that you just... He says it's not like a plant that just springs from the ground because if, if trouble were like a plant that just springs from the ground, then what you do is you pull the plant out and you dig around it. You make sure there's no other seeds dropping in the ground. You get rid of all that stuff and then the trouble's gone. He says that's not the way that trouble works. Trouble's more like sparks that fly upward. The only way that you can get rid of trouble if sparks are flying is what? You've got to put the fire out. You have to extinguish the fire. And so the only way that we cannot experience trouble is we, we'd have to be dead. Because just as sparks fly upward when the, fly, the fire is, is raging, as long as we're alive, from the moment we're born to the moment we die, all of us experience a certain amount of trouble that we didn't necessarily cause. It's just part of life. And so Job's friend, he points this out, and this is really true. There's two sources of main sources of trouble. There's outward trouble, stuff that circumstances of our life they just come against us or circumstances of life that come against us and bring trouble into our life that outwardly introduce trouble to us. But then there's also the internal trouble. There's stuff that I cause. There's stuff that you cause. There's the inward weaknesses that we carry around. There's the inward sin that we commit. There's the choices we inwardly process and then do. That, And those are definitely seeds of trouble. Um, so there's inward and then there's outward. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to focus on outward trouble. Whenever we face trouble from the outside, the Bible actually says we have stumbled upon buried treasure, something that is of extreme value. It's like you stumble onto a field that has diamonds below the surface. They're buried below the surface. You just need to know where to dig. There's something precious and rich underneath trouble that God is trying to expose so that we can grow. Or that we can experience something on a new level. And the real treasure in life, if you study the Scripture, um, the, when, when it talks about treasure, really it's talking about, most often, is breaking through into relationship with God. Finding Jesus. Discovering that following Him, that's like a treasure in life. Nothing on earth can really compare with that treasure of finding Jesus Christ, bowing and surrendering our lives to Him. And, and so, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this passage we're going to look at, in the New Testament, it's one of those places in the Bible where it describes this treasure of finding Jesus and following after Him. Um, but this treasure is buried. In many places in the Bible, it talks about this theme of the treasure of finding Christ. This is just one of them. But it's, it's buried treasure. It's hidden from you. It's, it's hidden, as we're going to look at, inside the ordinary lives of you and of me, of Christ followers. For people who've decided to follow Christ, that's where God has decided to bury the treasure of Christ. Let's look at this passage together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-9. through 9. It says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that, all surpass, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God 
and not from us. So there's this treasure in jars of clay. The jars of clay, that's us. That's Christ's followers. It says there's this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The treasure is not us. If you follow Christ, you're not the treasure. The treasure is Christ. You're the jar. You're the container that God has placed this treasure. It goes on and it says these four statements about Christ's followers. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. So where is the treasure again? Where is it found? In jars of clay, right? Jars of clay. He's using the image of an old earthen jar where if you had treasure, and here's a picture of some earthen jars of clay. If you had treasure back in those days, this is where you would stash the treasure. This is the bank account. This is where you'd hide your riches. That's us. If, if you've received Jesus Christ as Lord, then buried within you and buried within your life is the treasure of Jesus Christ. This is the treasure that the whole world is, is searching for. Everyone wants this, but it's, it's, a lot of people don't realize how important it is. And it's, it's buried inside jars of clay. Normal people. Just normal, average people. People look at us and they have no idea what's buried inside. They have no idea what, what God is doing. And so how do we even discover the treasure? Sometimes we lose sight of what's inside of us. If you've decided to follow Christ, it's easy to take your eyes off of, or take our eyes off of Him and we lose focus. And we just think, oh, I've just got these fractures and cracks and I'm pretty ordinary. Or other people, they interact with us and they, they don't see the treasure necessarily. And so in order for the treasure to, to really be exposed, the, the, the jar has to be broken. And so what God does is He brings external trouble. He brings different things that bear in on our lives in order to break us. And He does this for a purpose. It comes in three different forms. From this verse you see there's four different statements in this. You see it on the top of your listening guide. Four statements. Three of them are, are areas or types of trouble and then what God exposes. And then the fourth one is really a summary statement of, of what happens through all three of these things. And the purpose of God bringing trouble is to expose something that He wants displayed in our life. I'm going to say that again because it's really important. The reason why He allows trouble or He brings trouble is because He wants to expose something that He wants others to visibly see in us or that He wants just to for us to turn our attention to. He's going to try to expose some things that are deep within us to the world or to ourselves. So look at this first one. The first trouble that God will allow to come into our life is pressure. It's pressure. Now some people try to steer around pressure, just like I said, my children and your children probably would try to steer around pressure too. They want to go, they want, we want to run away from trouble. Well, pressure is something that just, it comes up. And when it comes, it's intended to expose our faith. This is where it says in verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed, it says. This is trouble when it's coming at us from all different angles. Most people were convinced that the treasure is really found on this earth in visible things. And so we start trying to acquire things that we would say, this is important. And we start putting our hope in, in earthly, visible treasure. But God knows that the real treasure is found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in any person, any object. It's found in Him. And so in order to, for us to be reminded of that, we, we have to choose something called faith. We have to choose constantly to believe that God is real, that He exists, 
and that we can trust Him with our lives. And so, through pressure, He keeps exposing. It's like He dusts off everything else that has distracted us and gotten our attention. He exposes something very deep within our core. The faith that we have in Christ. But He uses pressure, pressure like it gets piled up from all these different angles. There's a scene from Star Wars, the first Star Wars. I want to show you a picture of it. It's really hard to see. Um, so I apologize. This is the best shot I could give. But I don't know if you've seen the movie Star Wars, but there's this scene. Can you see it in the back? Kind of. This is the trash compactor scene, right? This is the Star Wars trash compactor scene. Luke Skywalker and his friends, they find themselves in a room-sized trash compactor where the walls are closing in on them, and it's just a matter of time before they're squished. And so they're trying to prop things up to, to you know, keep safe, but it's inevitable. They're, they're going to get squished. They're in a life-sized trash compactor. There's pressure coming in from all different sides. And so what does Luke do? He calls for help. He calls the droids. Get on R2-D2. You know, get someone in to help the situation. This is what the verse is talking about. It's not talking about Star Wars. It's talking about pressure coming in from all sides. There's problems coming in just at, at all sorts of directions. Now, this happens to us frequently, doesn't it? To where you feel pressure. Like, man, if it was just one thing in my life that wasn't going right, then I could deal with it. But it's a handful. Sometimes there's just pressure from every direction. You have a parenting strain. You're trying to work with your kids and it's just it's not working. And then all of a sudden you, you disagree with the approach with your spouse and then there's a strain there. And, and maybe if it was just those two things, then you could solve the issue. But then all of a sudden the economy collapses and you lose your job. And the business you're trying to get off the ground falls apart. Then you crash your car. Then a family member of yours gets sick. And there's all of these different pressures from all sides. This is the picture that we're being given. We're this jar of clay that gets fractured. We're hard-pressed. But he says, but we're not crushed. God's not out to destroy us. He's not out to just break us and smash us and be done with us for no purpose. He says, we're not crushed. We're we're feeling hard-pressed from every side. Now, the reason that God does this is when we're surrounded by trouble from all different fronts, the only direction that really we're left to to look is, is up. Because if we look here, there's this problem. We look here, there's this problem. We look in every angle from all sides, there's problems. The only option for us is to look up and say, God, I know you're here, you're involved, and I'm turning my attention and my trust to you. And I I believe you're not going to rip me off. You have been faithful. And what that is, is trouble and this kind of pressure, all it does is it, it, it exposes something we call faith. It's the decision to believe that God is real and to continue to trust in Him. All the time, God does this. He just keeps... Our tendency is to move throughout our day oblivious to the treasure of God's presence in our life. We know He's there. We believe He's there. But we just go about our day. We ignore Him. We, we get busy. We forget about Him. We literally bury our head in the sands. It isn't until we get thrown in the trash compactor and we feel the pressure of life then we say, okay, God, I'm trying to do this on my own. I need to trust You once again. I need to to hand this over to you. I need to focus my attention on your your character and who you are, who you say you're going to be. And and whenever you do that, you've stumbled upon, you've discovered that treasure, that buried treasure, which is faith. It's so easy for us just to forget that because we get distracted by all sorts of visible worldly treasures. We get distracted 
trying to satisfy our life with things that this world says is going to really help us. And then God says, well, they've lost focus of me again. I'm going to allow some pressure on their life to bear down on them so that they would turn and look up in faith. Because what that does, it reminds us who's really in charge. It reminds us of our need to yield to Him. And then it also is a lesson to the people that are watching the pressure and our responses to the pressure. The more times you face trouble, the more time you've... And really, it's when you're at the edge of your capacity when your faith grows. It's not when you're comfortable. It's not when I'm comfortable that my faith grows. My faith has grown the most when I've been stretched to the very edge of what I think I'm capable of doing. And God doesn't say, hey, let's put him in a real comfortable place and this is where we're going to choose to grow his faith. No, he stretches us and so pressure confines us. We get into a position where our faith is able to grow. Whenever we're comfortable, there's no need for us to look up in faith because we feel okay. And so we start satisfying ourselves in visible treasures, worldly, earthly treasures, things that we think will satisfy. And honestly, this is for many people what turns people to Christ is pressure. Pressure comes, it bears down on them, and they recognize, man, I've tried everything I need to try. I need to try to follow Christ. I've never yet yielded my life to Jesus Christ. And that might be you know, true of you. Maybe you've never really yielded your life to Christ. Um, if, you want to, if you want to talk with someone about that, we at the guest information or at the welcome table in the back, we'd love to talk with you about how to follow Christ and how to break through into faith. If you've never done that for the first time, we'd love to help you experience that treasure. You can also check that on the box in the back of your card. But, but this whole area, Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Peter talks about this. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's talking about the trash compactor. All kinds of trials, he's saying you're going through. And then the very next word says, These have come, speaking of the trials. These is a plural word. These. like There's lots of pressure. Sometimes there's lots of pressure. So that your faith, he says, Your faith is of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God is doing something. He's using pressure as a process of refining, is what he says. Peter's saying, I know it's crazy right now. I know you're in the trash compactor. And he's saying, look, you have reason to rejoice. God is exposing faith, and that is of greater value than gold. It may not feel like it, but you know, you just don't find gold laying in the street. If it was available on the street, laying in the street, then it wouldn't be treasure. No, it's, it has to be mined. You have to mine for gold. You have to dig for it. It's buried. And then you have to refine gold. It takes work. And faith is the same way. Faith is the same way. Faith just doesn't fall off of the tree. It has to be mined, and then it has to be refined. There's pressure. There's this process. Man, gold, we would say this is a high, high value. But And, and honestly... Gold has high value. I've cashed in some gold a few years ago, and I was shocked to find out how much a little piece of gold is worth. I'm like, where can I get some more gold? You know? And you've probably thought that too. Don't deny it. You've been in the mall. You've been in the mall, and you've seen the videos. And I was gardening yesterday. Well, I wasn't gardening. I was repairing sprinklers so that we can garden. And I was trying to fix a handful of sprinklers that were broken and leaky and messed up. And so I took a hand shovel, and I, my method is I clear away. 
an area around the sprinkler so I can get in there really easily and I'm not dealing with dirt and water and all this stuff. And so I'm digging this little trench for my... So I'm going to just pull up this whole area, set it aside, work on the sprinkler. And so I'm digging. I hit this point and I'm just... And it's like rock hard. So then I, instead of doing the digging, I turn it over and I just start chipping, chiseling, I guess I'd say. And I bust the handle off this thing. And I'm like, man. So I grab the nub and I'm... And it's like, I hit this decomposed granite. And if you live up in this area, you know, you've hit this stuff before if you've tried to do some gardening. And it's like, this was apparently just all rock because, like, you hit this rock and you just can't get any further. So I'm chiseling and chiseling and chiseling. And what should I see? Gold. You're laughing. (laughs) I hit gold. Like, Eureka! I found it! My son's right there. Gabe, I hit gold! There's gold! I'm like, chiseling. There's really gold in there. There's all these gold flakes. Then I realized. It's probably not gold. So I I was like, we should call Nick. We should call Nick. Because Nick part of our congregation. He was here first service. Nick actually has some mines and he mines for gold, refines gold, has a whole process. I'm like, I need to call Nick. Like, we need to get the forklifts in here. We need to figure this thing out because I was, and I, I went and I even dug another area and there was gold down there too. And just like, wow. But then I realized, I was like, this can't be gold. So I just put it to the back of my mind. I asked him first service, hey, I think I may have stumbled upon something. I don't want to make a big deal. I don't want my neighbors to, like, you know, come and dig in my yard or anything. So, sure enough, he said, Josh, that's just pyrite. It's fool's gold. You know, real gold isn't... (laughs) He said, yeah, there's tons of pyrite up in these areas. Just fool's gold. Real gold is hard to find. I'm not going to find real real gold just plink, you know, a big old gold bar in my front yard. And so... Faith, in very similar ways, it, it needs to be, it's, it's far below the surface. It's something that God, He, he often uses pressure, pressure in order to expose it like nothing else really will. This, this area of pressure is not something we could just escape, steer around, grow out of. Pressure is just something that exists because we are alive. We're alive. And He'll constantly use it, just brush back the dirt of all sorts of other things in order to get us to look up, and to focus on Him. Which he says, our faith, and we think gold is valuable. He says, our faith is far greater value than even gold. Gold's something eventually that isn't going to make it. It, it. Right now we refine it, but there's a point in time where God will wrap up time in history and all things like that will perish, even gold. It'll burn away. He says, but faith, it has value beyond this earth. Look at this next one. The second kind of trouble that that God uses is obstacles. Obstacles expose hope. It says, Paul writes in in the second part of uh, verse 8, he says, you know, your jars of clay hard-pressed from every side, but you're not crushed. But then he says, you're perplexed, but not in despair. This is a mark of Christ followers. They're perplexed. They're oftentimes confused. Being perplexed is trouble that leaves you confused. Trouble that leaves you confused. That's what it means to have an obstacle. The Greek language, the word perplexed, it basically means you cannot go across a river. The word perplexed means to not be able to cross over a river. You can't ford over the river. It's like you're standing on one side of the, you're on one bank of the river. You need to get to the other side, but there's this swift flowing, dangerous river, 
and you have no boat, you have no bridge, there's no way to get to the other side. So this kind of trouble occurs when we encounter an obstacle that really prevents us from getting to where we want to be. We're stuck, we don't know what to do. Think of a situation right now. There probably is some situations that you would say, these are obstacles. I don't know what to do. might be a relationship, might be something related to your career, it could be something related to your health, but it's an obstacle that you are confused as to what's the next step. Or you're just stuck. There's no, for you, there's no solution. The obstacle that you're facing, it uncovers what you're putting your hope in. It exposes hope. Obstacles expose hope. They don't leave us in despair. They, they expose, they're intended to expose a deeper hope and determination of where God wants to take us. And so why would God do this? It's really similar to the first point. God uses obstacles to get us to stop and to consider the destination that we're giving our lives to. We hit these stopping points in these moments in life where we're so confused that again, He wants just for us to stop and consider, what, what am I giving my life to? What is my hope really in? We all tend to just put our hope in, in physical things that are here, they're visible. God calls these visible hopes false hopes. And we build lives on false hopes. They don't deliver us. We get something, we get to the destination that we've propped up and we realize, man, that was a pretty empty pursuit. I've given my life for this. That's not satisfying. There's all kinds of good things in this world. Man, marriage is great. Kids are great. Friends are great. You know, a, a career is great. Success is great. New toys, like if you get a new toy, you know, you all have toys, right? If you get that new car, that new boat, whatever, those things are great, but none of those things in this world, the visible hopes, have what we really long for. They're never satisfying. We get the thing we really want, and then we recognize, man, it's empty. I'm empty again. It's because we're created for much more than just visible earthly treasure. We're created for eternity. And nothing this side of eternity is ever going to give us and satisfy the longing that we really have. Titus describes the hope that we should be living for. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God, experiencing God's grace of forgiveness and a relationship with, with Him through His Son Jesus. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See, when we encounter God's grace, what it does is it's intended to shift our focus away from things worldly passions, desires of this world that are for temporary, visible, what we would call treasure. But they offer false hope. He says, we've been taught to say no to these things. While we wait for the blessed hope, we're waiting for the blessed hope, not the false hope, but the hope that will really come through for us. What's the hope? He says, the hope is the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope is Jesus Christ. He is the treasure. Himself. And eternity with Him is the treasure. That's our hope. He's where X marks the spot on the treasure map. To place our, our hope in anything else will leave us disappointed. But to, to decide, I'm going to live for Him and for His return is to set our life in a direction that will not be disappointed. You won't come up empty. To place our primary hope on anything else is d- disappointing, faulty, and empty. That's why God allows us to get into situations where we are perplexed, but we're not in despair. He wants to move us beyond the obstacle to hope. Because again, it's on the edge of being in despair that 
a new hope really begins to rise or we begin to lift our eyes to something beyond this world. It's at points when we get confused, when there's problems that crop up that aren't getting solved till we recognize, you know, God may be do, doing something just for eternity in this moment. There's a lot of questions we can't answer this side of eternity. And again, maybe you're here and you're at the point of being perplexed. And maybe you've put your hope into something that's proven to be false. Again, I would say, allow that to expose the hope of Christ in your life. Allow that to, to, to cause your eyes to be lifted to something beyond just this world. The third type of trouble is persecution. It's persecution exposes love. We typically think of the term persecution as only religious persecution, but this can be applied much broader in this context. 2 Corinthians 4.9 says, We're also persecuted but we're not abandoned. We're persecuted. I mean, there's times in our life where we're persecuted, but we're not abandoned in those moments. This persecution is, this is trouble with people. This is any time you're having trouble with other people. The word persecuted here, it means to chase away or to harass. This it refers to what happens when any time someone pushes away or begins to attack us personally. You know, we're feeling threatened. The relationship gets broken. They turn on us. Whatever, whatever the situation is, whenever people turn on us, we make two discoveries. One is we discover how little we really love that person. Or we discover, the, or we discover secondly, how much God really loves us. Anytime our relationships get broken, we discover something about our love, the way we love others, and how much God really loves us. For the first thought, though, how little we love if you're going through something, when someone loves you, what is your response? If someone loves you, your response is to love them back, right? If I'm loved, I return love. And it's not just because they're my kind of person. It's because there's this, there's this benefit to that relationship. And so don't think too highly of yourself if you love someone who loves you back. Don't think, wow, I'm, I am really a people person because I love someone well, if they love you back, of course you, you know, if it goes both ways, of course, that's great. I'm glad you love them. It doesn't mean you've got a huge heart if you love people who love you. It's when people don't love us that we get to see just how little we really love. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 32. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? That's Jesus saying, big deal. Way to go. You love people who love you back. Big deal. Even sinners love those who love them. He says, that's a trait of the world. People that don't follow Christ, people that do follow Christ. You know, we just love people back if they love us. It's when someone rejects me that I get to see what's really in my heart towards them. It's, you know, I'm not that good when it comes to loving people. And it's exposed through a break in the relationship, a fracture, persecution, a fight, an argument. The most, ev- you know, the most humbling evidence for me is when I recognize that I have a deficiency in love for people. It just humbles me. I realize, man, I love so little, and yet God loves me so much. He puts up with me. He puts up with so much that I've done. He puts up with all sorts of thoughts. He loves me so much. And yet, this person does something to hurt me, or I, I disagree with them, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like a switch gets flipped where I just like, I don't want to love you. And, and whenever, but the truth is, whenever we have arguments with people that we love, it doesn't matter how good everything else in our life is, it hurts. And it kind of torments us. We feel awful. The reason is because 
love is, is another one of these treasures that God is trying to expose and increase in our life. Because, you know, the problem is none of us love fully. And so we're always loving people who don't love us fully in return. None of us have the capacity to just always love people. And so there's always this opportunity to just see, man, I love people so little. And it's at those points of people trouble that we discover the treasure of God's love for us in Christ. We recognize how much God loves us despite our own sin, despite our own feelings. He says, you know, you're persecuted, but you're not abandoned. When everyone loves us, we're not that aware of God's you know, love for us. When, when things are right with our relationships, we often forget about God's love for us. But it's when things are wrong in our relationships and we recognize, wow, God loves me still. Though these relationships are torn and fractured, I still experience the love of God in a very, very real way. You know, when I'm alone, I recognize I'm not abandoned. He, he still loves me. Unlike others who turn away when we disappoint them, God doesn't do that. He doesn't turn away. And it's often at that point that He exposes, again, the weakness or the frailty of our own love, and he, he calls us to a deeper love, both for Him and for others. And then Paul summarizes at the very end of that verse, he says, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. He's saying, in summary, all of these different kinds of troubles leads to we get struck down. We feel like we're being struck down. That word means to strike with enough force to knock a person down on the ground. When these kinds of things happen, when trouble from all these three areas press in on us, it feels like we're blindsided and it's enough to knock us off of our feet. But he says, hey, you're not going to be destroyed through this. This is not the end. God wants us to stop focusing just on the clay, meaning the visible stuff. Or just trying to hold our lives together. He says there's so much more that can be discovered through these other things that I'm exposing through all the pressure. See, what he exposes is faith, hope, love. These three things the Scripture teaches will remain for all eternity. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul writes about love, but then he says, he says now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. What he's saying is that there will be a time there will be a time when only these three things will matter. They don't seem to matter that much right now because these are buried treasures. But he says, there will be a time when all the visible stuff, the earthly treasures that we put our hope in, will be no longer. And it's only faith, hope, and love will endure. And so, whatever God does to refine or create or build faith, hope, and love in our lives, it's because He cares about the eternal part of us and not just the temporal part of us. God knows that we're going to forget faith, hope, and love. And so He continues to just put us in the trash compactor or allow obstacles or allow relationships to get fractured because He really wants to, to grow us beyond just the earthly, visible things. As a group, just kind of as we wrap up, as a group, He, he often uses trouble in the body to encourage the whole group to be, to, be, to be strengthened in our faith, in our hope, and in our love. As we've walked through some different tragedies even in our congregation, God uses those things. Sometimes we ask the question, why? And we don't look up. We just ask, why? Why this? Why that? Why this? And we fail to look up and really ask God to show us what He's trying to develop in us. But as we have looked up at different points, or as we've looked beyond this life, there's a, there's a strengthening that occurs within the body of Christ, as we share life together. Uh, I'd encourage you, as you get close to people who are walking through trouble, to 
allow that to motivate your own faith. Allow that to inspire you towards an eternal hope. Or allow that to increase your love for others as you see, wow, they're really responding to treasure. What you're seeing is you're seeing the jar of clay being broken and you're, being ex- you're seeing God expose deeper things, the treasures. And that encourages a whole group. That might be your small group. That could be a group of people you just share life with. As you share with others and as you... It's amazing how just sharing your life with others and talking about the things you're going through and what you're processing and then just giving it to God before other people publicly... It's amazing how that inspires other people to keep moving forward. And I want to encourage you to do that. Take out this uh, connection card as we wrap up and as the band comes up. In a moment, our ushers are going to be receiving this morning's tithes and offerings. And this white card, if you, if you finish this up, you can drop this card in the basket along with any, um, anything you came prepared to give. And so this on the back you see, it's got three next steps. The first next step is to memorize a verse, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Just a reminder verse about we are jars of clay where a treasure, God has buried a treasure, is to show His great power through ordinary, broken people like you and I. Another thing is this, ask a friend to pray for you, is the second thing on there. Praying for another, anytime someone prays for you or you pray for them, engages faith, hope, and love. You're making a declaration of faith. You're, You're... you're kind of looking beyond this life in hope. And it's really an expression of deep love and concern to put someone else's interests ahead of your own. So I'd encourage you to be thinking about, God, who, who is going through some stuff that I can pray for, that I can come alongside right now? And um, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the hope that we have found in you. God, for those that are here that, that have decided to follow Jesus,